Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Sorry, I had to restrain myself a little bit. I wanted to run up and give Christopher a chest bump. I thought that might be inappropriate for some of you, but uh, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. That's strong. Strong. Today, we're in Joshua chapter 4, and so if you've got your Bible, I hope you'll open it. Hope you'll open it. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, listen, I, I don't know how to encourage you more strongly. Bring your Bible to church. I don't care if it's one that you turn on or one you open, but bring your Bible to church. The one that you use every day. Here's, here's why. Is, is I want you in your word, the word. I want you in the word that's going to be uh, speaking to you. I want you to be able to go home and look at the same thing that I preached in the morning, I want you to open God's Word every day. If you don't own a Bible or didn't bring a Bible, there's a hardback black Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Just please use that. If you don't own it, take it home, please. Uh, let that be our gift to you because we believe that the Bible is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It is the very Word of God. It does not change. And we believe that if you want your life to change, it starts right there in that book. So that's what we believe. So please do that. We're in Joshua chapter 4. And um, we're going to be looking at unforgettable milestones. Unforgettable milestones. Now, we've been in a series uh, all about, um, out through the book of Joshua, talking about how does our church move forward? How do we move forward? The people of Israel going from uh, the wilderness into the promised land. And here in the book of Joshua, they're on the edge of the Jordan River, looking west toward uh, Jericho into the promised land and they see it and now God has been instructing them as to what to do and so what we're looking at is how do we move forward how do we move forward what does that look like and so over the past uh, few weeks we've looked at uh, unfailing promises that the command to take the land is based on God's unfailing promises the the way that we move forward is by trusting in God's unfailing promises the second uh, week we looked at uncommon characters and how God can use a sinner such as Rahab to do great things. A Rahab who was uh, a prostitute became the, uh, the great-grandmother of King David and the many-time great-grandmother of Jesus the Messiah. And so um, if God can use a lady like her, God can use uncommon characters for His glory. We looked at unfamiliar paths and what do we do when we're walking unfamiliar paths? We kind of likened what Israel was going through where, where God said to Joshua, do this because you've never passed this way. Follow the ark because you've never passed this way. And we talked about what do we do when we're walking a road that we've never passed before. And we said, we talked about how we need to be following the Holy Spirit. We need to be following the word and consecrating ourselves 
that we need to be following after God like never before in this unfamiliar path that we're walking so that we might move forward based on God's Word by His Spirit. And then today, I want to look at unforgettable milestones. So I'm going to look at three things today in the Scripture. I'm going to go ahead and tell them to you. If you're a note taker, you can write them down. Uh, But we're going to look at the miracle. We're going to look at the memorials. And we're going to look at the mission. The miracle, the memorials, and the mission. Okay, so Joshua and all of the people of Israel, this new generation that's come out of the wilderness and going into the promised land, God says, go cross over the Jordan, for I'm going with you and I'm giving you the land that lays before you. He gives them these promises. And they come to the Jordan River at the time of the flood season and during the rainy season. And listen, as I've studied just more and more over the past couple weeks, um, I'm learning more about the Jordan River at this time of year. The Jordan River at this time of year, just east of where Gilgal is, can be over a mile wide at flood stage. The floodplain is a mile wide. And so we're not talking about some creek like up in the mountains of uh, northern South Carolina or the the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina where you can just take a hop, skip, and a jump and make sure you don't slip on a rock and and make it across. We're talking about a mile-wide raging river uh, that who knows how deep it is and who knows how strong it is and who knows how much water is coming through it at a given moment. It's a a mile-wide. And God says... It, you're, the priests who are bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the, the, what one commentator calls the portable throne of the invisible God, he's, we're going to carry the Ark into the, the floodwaters, and the, the moment that the priests who are bearing the Ark touch the waters of the Jordan River, the ground will begin to dry, and the waters to the north will begin to heap up ahead of you until the priests are standing firmly on dry ground. Now, as I've been studying... It says in Joshua chapter 3 that the water piled up in one big heap in a a place called Zarethan, which is near Adam in Israel. And some of my studying has produced that Zarethan is over 40 miles away. And it's being piled up into this enormous heap of water, this wall of water that the, the Jordan River, which would flow in flood stage, is now being dried up, is heaping up 30 to 40 miles north of them, can you imagine the sight that the people of Israel would see as they, they're looking up to the north, they're looking up river, and they just begin to see this wall of water heaping up for them. An incredible miracle, a divine miracle, like the waters of the Red Sea is how it is later in Joshua chapter 4. Like the waters of the Red Sea, they're walking on dry ground through the floodplain, through the, the torrent of the raging river, yet their feet are on dry ground the entire time. And what it says is the moment that the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant, the moment that their feet stepped out of that riverbed onto what was dry ground, that wall of water came flooding down and filled the riverbed once again. God did an incredible miracle that day for the people of Israel. God made a way when there is no way. Aren't you glad that that when it seems like in your life that there's no way out of this situation, there are situations in my life that I don't know how to get around, I want you to know that we serve a God who makes a way when there is no way. And here in this passage, what is God doing God is revealing Himself to His people. 
There is a generation that came out of, the, 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 uh, out of Israel, or out of Egypt, into the wilderness, and they saw the Red Sea. They saw God part those waters. But what happened to that generation because of rebellion? They died there in the wilderness. And now that generation is gone. And there's a new generation that stepped up into their place. And now what is God doing? He's showing them the mighty hand of God. It's Yahweh, the one true living God, revealing himself to his people. He's revealing himself to his people. And I just want you to see how incredible that is. Now, I want you to note something significant. In Joshua chapter 4, I want you to look at verse 19. Joshua chapter 4, verse 19, it says, The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. Tenth day of the first month. I want to focus on that for just a second. You might say, that seems insignificant. The date. Does anybody remember back in Egypt, there was something significant that began on the tenth day of the first month? Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, 3, and 4 say that God commanded Israel on the tenth day of the first month to take a lamb and to rear it in their home for four days until the fourteenth day of the month that they would slay the lamb, the Passover lamb, and the lamb would be, they, would, they would apply the blood there to the doorposts and the lintel was the blood applied. Right? And they would apply the blood of the lamb. But it was on the tenth day of the fourth, or the tenth day of the first month that the Lord in Egypt began to deliver, began to redeem God's people, Israel, from slavery in Egypt. It was the tenth day of the first month. And guess what he's finalizing on the tenth day of the first month, some 40 years later? The redemption that he began in Egypt, he is sealing completed on the tenth day of the first month as the people of God walk into the land. That is just such an encouraging thing to me. I don't believe there are coincidences in the scripture. I don't believe God had a happy accident as he was aligning the days. He said, oh, it's funny. I can't imagine that we just happen to do both of those things on the same day. Guys, isn't that funny? I don't think that's how it worked. I think God was showing them something. God was revealing to his people that what I began, I'm going to bring to completion. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God when he begins a good work in you? He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says that exact thing. The same one who began the work in you will bring it to completion. We serve a God who finishes well. We serve a God who never leaves things half done. Aren't you glad of that? Sometimes I feel half done, don't you? I'm half baked here. Come on, Lord. Can you work a little faster? And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage our church that what he begins... In you, what he begins in us, what God, what work God starts in his people, he's going to complete in his people. Now, the road always won't be easy, will it? But he is faithful. He is faithful. God never leaves the job half done. And I want you to see it this way 
I want you to see it this way. There is one sense that our redemption through Jesus Christ is finished. Because on the cross he said it is finished, and it was. Our redemption, our salvation is past tense. It was completed for us. Amen? But there's another sense in which our salvation is in process. He saved me on this day from the punishment of sin. He is saving me now through, from the, the, uh, the presence. i got to get my P's right. The presence of sin. He is, he is changing me. He is saving me little by little. And one day in heaven, He will save me completely and fully that sin will have no remnant in my body. He has saved me. He is saving me. And He will save me at the day of Christ Jesus. And we're just like the people of Israel. They were redeemed out of Egypt on the first day of the 10th month. And uh, through the wilderness, God was doing a work in them. And on the first day of the 10th month, some 40 days later, He fulfilled His promise to redeem His people out of slavery. To give them a land. This is the promise that God made to His people in Genesis chapter 12. He says, I will, Abraham, I will bless you and I will multiply you and I will give you a land and I will give you a people and everybody on the earth will be blessed through you. And what's God doing in this fulfillment as they come into the promised land? He's fulfilling this prophecy in Genesis chapter 12 where He promises to give His people a land to make them a blessing And so I just want you to know today that God might not be on your time schedule. You ever ever come to realize that God does not work according to your time schedule? Amen out there? Uh, When do you want it done? Yesterday. Right? God does not work according to your time schedule or my time schedule, but God is never late. There's an old song that says He's an on-time God. He's an on-time God. I want you to know the Bible reveals that that God does not sleep, nor does He slumber. Sometimes when we sleep and when we slumber, God is hard at work on our behalf. He is always working out your salvation. He is always working on your behalf. He is always battling on your behalf and on my behalf, on behalf of those who are named under the name of Jesus. He is constantly working for you and me. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes a day off. He is constantly working. And sometimes, like in this passage, we see God's miraculous divine hand at work. We see it and we go, that we know that was God. And other times, we don't see God's hand at work, but He is constantly working through ordinary means to take care of His people. He is never not working. But I I just want you to know that He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with me and until we cross over into the promised land, until, until one day, when, as we sang, when Jesus comes back for His own, when He comes back for me, when He comes back for you, that will be the day when Jesus is finished working on you. And until then, you're in process. We should all wear a sign around our waist that says, pardon the progress. Work in progress. Under construction. We should all have that sign attached to us. We are all works in progress and God is working in you just as he was in this miraculous day. 
The second thing I want us to look at, and I want to spend most of my time right here, is uh, I want to look at the memorials. The memorials. Now, I want you to see something in this passage. There are two memorials here in this passage. And I think each one of these memorials are significant uh, for two different purposes. All right. So this is what he says. All right, Joshua, I want you to command the people of Israel. I want you to command every tribe, 12 tribes. I want you to command them that each uh, a leader from each tribe, while they're going through the, the, uh, the Jordan River on dry ground, as they're traveling through the Jordan, I want you to command each leader to get a stone, to throw it on his shoulder, and to carry it across uh, to the other side. Now, I want you to understand, this is not one of these uh, little stones you can carry in your hand, put it in a bag. This was such a stone that they had to carry it on their shoulder. It was a big stone. But I want you to, get, I want you to command every one of them uh, to have a stone, and I want you to do this. When you get over there, I want you to set them up, and I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. It says... Uh, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So in other words, God commanded Joshua get 12 stones on the way through one stone for to represent every tribe in Israel. And when you get to the other side in Gilgal, you set up a memorial of stones. You stack them, pile them. I'm not sure what it looked like, but you set them on top of one another that, that when uh, in days to come, this would be a reminder and a memorial for you and your children that God almost intended that sooner or later that every good Jewish person would take their children to the banks of the Jordan River. They would go visit Jericho and they would take them down to the Jordan River and they would say to their children, you see those stones right there? You mean these? Yeah, those. Every one of those stones is a reminder of God's faithfulness. Every one of those stones is a reminder that God keeps His promise that God is a miracle-working God, and that God does things in His time, but He will never fail on His promise. It was to be a reminder, a memorial set up. That, hey, at one point in time, children, we were slaves in a foreign land, and look at what God has given us. He's made us a people. He's given us a land. He's given us our inheritance. And He has numbered us so many that we're as many as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. He's kept His promise. Now, I, I want to speak to our church for just a moment. We have been given great and many promises in God's Word. And if we are an adult or we are a mature follower of Jesus in here, it is our responsibility, not my responsibility, not just parents' responsibility, but every Christian's responsibility to take the children of the day that God grants to Seneca Baptist Church to the stones in Gilgal and remind them that God is faithful and He's good and that He keeps His promise. And church family, if I can just say, one of the reasons why our country's in such a mess is somewhere along the way we messed up. We failed. 
At one point in time, we were called a Christian nation. We lived in the Bible Belt, and no longer are we a Christian nation, or do we live in the Bible Belt. So the generation, one generation, failed to pass the, the faith to the next generation. And if we want to see God do something, it's not going to start simply with me changing my heart, but it's going to start with God captivating my life in such a way that I take my children back to the stones at Gilgal and remind them, show them, tell them about the God of my fathers. We've got to raise up the next generation to know Jesus. That's the hope of the church. That's the hope of our country. It's not in my generation, but in my children's generation. There's no greater place. Look at me, church family. There's no greater place that we can put our emphasis in other than children in this day to come. There was a stone in Gilgal. The one memorial. It's just a little north of Jericho. But there was another memorial. I want you to look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. What in the world? I get the first memorial. I get that one. That makes sense. It's a memorial. It's there. I take my children to it. It's just like uh, we, you, you might take your children to the... Uh, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, the, whether it's the traveling memorial or the one in, v, in, in D.C. My dad, who's a Vietnam veteran, took me to that memorial as a child, and I remember it. And, and he took me there, and he showed me the names, and he showed me some of his friends who died along the way. And that was a meaningful moment for me, and we must do that. I get that. That makes sense. I get the one in Gilgal. You take your children there. But what about the one in the midst of the Jordan? Okay, now here's what I need you to hear. I've been praying about this for a couple weeks now, asking the Lord, and I've been reading a lot about this. And I, I've, I've prayer, I'm prayerfully speculating, okay? Can I just say this? In the Bible, it's not clear why there was one in the Jordan. We get why the one was there on Gilgal. He tells us, so you, need, you can bring your children back here. He, in two places in chapter 4, he says, so that when your children ask, what are these stones for, you can tell them. What about the one in the Jordan? We're not told why there's the one in the Jordan. And so I, I, I believe, I, I've been prayerfully speculating. Can I say it that way? I, I believe I can back this up with evidence, and I hope to do that today. But here's what I think they were. One was a memorial of God's finished work, and one was a memorial of the judgment of God that has been completed. Here's what I mean. This is almost like the flood. The one in the, in the middle of the Jordan, when those floodwaters rushed back down upon it, 40 miles or so upstream, when those floodwaters came back down upon this memorial... This memorial was covered in the flood. Does that sound familiar at all? There was a time in Genesis chapter 6, the flood of Noah. We just got back from the ark, and if you've never been, you should go. Uh, you should take your children. You should take your grandchildren. You should go on that trip, spend the time, spend the money, go. You won't regret it. Well, there was this flood that 
the wickedness of mankind was buried under the righteous judgment of God, and on the other side of the flood springs forth a new creation, a people of God. It's maybe like the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, when the enemies of Israel are destroyed and the judgment of God and the slavery of Israel is left behind there in Egypt and they, they, they come out of the Red Sea as a free people. And now between the people of Israel and their slavery is an impassable gulf. The waters closed back up. God judged their enemies. Judgment was finished. Out walks a new people. And the people of Israel, here in this passage, they cross the Jordan. And I want to, I'm speculating here, but I believe that the, these 12 stones rem, are a reminder of the judgment of God uh, for every tribe of Israel on the previous generation and all of the sins in the wilderness that the judgment of God, like the great floodwaters sweep down the Jordan River, that they are covered by the flood of God's judgment and they are buried there under the Jordan River. It was a reminder that the, God's perfect judgment has been satisfied and now a new generation walks forward in a brand new life in a brand new land. Do you, do you hear the gospel in this? Micah chapter 7 verse 18 and 19, I think we've got it on the screen, says it like this. Who is a God like you? I love this passage. Let this sink into your heart. Who's a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. For the remnant of his inheritance. He did not his, retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It's almost like Micah is remembering what's happening in Joshua chapter 4 as the sins of Israel are left there on the bottom of the Jordan River covered by the flood of God's judgment and they are buried there forever. You'll cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So could it have been a reminder to all Israel that the sins of the past generations had been buried under the flood of God's wrath? The old Israel has passed away in the wilderness and the new Israel was coming out of the Jordan as God's people of promise. Does that sound like the waters of baptism? Buried in the likeness of Christ. Raised to walk. A brand new life. Do you see it? Do you see the picture? Come on, church. Do you see it? This, this is the good news of the gospel in these two memorials. The punishment of sin has been satisfied. Our great enemy has been defeated. The power of sin has been loosed. The old sinful person has died in the wilderness, and now the new person has come through the Jordan into the promised land. How? We have a memorial too. It's the cross. We have a memorial. The cross is where the love of God and the justice of God meet. The cross is where the wrath of God was satisfied. The cross is where the payment of God was rendered. The cross was where my debt was paid in full. The cross is where all of the record of debt that I had was canceled. The cross is a memorial for you and for me who trust in it.
The cross is a place where the old man's crucified and the new man is raised with the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to understand something today. The cross, the, the truth of the gospel is a truth to be believed. But the truth of the gospel is also a power to experience. There, do you think the waters that piled high until millions of people crossed over was a powerful torrent coming down? You think so? I do. Well, the Bible reveals in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? The power of God. I need you to know something. I need you to hear me well. Just because you agree with a set of truths does not mean that you've ever experienced the power of the gospel. See, I can take my children and show them the cross and tell them all about the cross, but until the power of God comes upon them, they're not saved. And until they take their faith and they place it in Jesus. And I want you to understand today that, that there are people, some of us, we've grown up in the church, but growing up in the church or being baptized in a baptismal somewhere, a lake somewhere, a river somewhere, doesn't mean you're saved. It's the power of God. And, and every person who wants to come into the promised land to be born again into the kingdom must experience the life-giving power of the Spirit of God. Peter says it this way. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men. Did you know Jesus was a stone? He was the stone that the builders rejected. But became the cornerstone. He says, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Listen, do you see what Peter's doing? He's saying we're built on the foundation stone, Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. And what is happening every time, every time a sinner, every time someone trusts, Christ's, uh, trusts Christ, another stone is quarried out of the pit of sin and cemented by God's grace into his building. Listen, did you come in this morning with shame in your past or guilt in your past? Have you experienced something in your past, done something in your past? Is there something in your past that you're ashamed of and you have kept a secret all these years and nobody's told, been told of it and, and you have been carrying it around for years and maybe decades of your life? You have been wearing this and this this guilt, this shame, this burden has overwhelmed you. Is there something in your life like that? Let me encourage you folks, my friends. Do you have a past? Jesus can deal with it. Uh, I, here's how he can deal with it. He can deal with it in such a way that your sins are thrown into the bottom of the ocean. I love what the Bible says about God's forgetfulness. Now listen to me very careful. God does not forget our sins. He does not forgive and forget. 
That, that makes God seem so small, so much like you and me. And I'm, let me just tell you, he's nothing like you and me. Amen? I'm so glad he's not like you and me. Mainly, I'm glad he's not like me. Because I don't forgive and forget. That's just hard for me. What God does, what the Bible reveals that God does, is that when he forgives somebody of their transgression, he chooses not to remember it anymore. That's way better than forgiving and forgetting. He chooses not to remember it. In fact, he takes it, and uh, Psalm 103 says he takes your sin and he separates it as far as you as the east is from the west. Micah chapter 7 says he throws it in the depths of the ocean. Isn't that good news? You got a past? I promise you God can deal with it through Jesus. Stop trying to deal with your past. Stop trying to use man-made efforts to deal with your past sin. Give it to Jesus and he'll do better with it than you can. He can forgive it and he can bury it in the depths of the Jordan River and let the wave of God's mercy and justice and love and righteousness sweep over it and you'll come outside a new person. I promise you. I love what Paul said. I, I, I read it already. Saying is trustworthy and des deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. If Christ can deal with Paul, he can deal with you. Why the memorials? Why? Why did God feel necessary to give Israel a memorial? I heard it said one time that one of the great enemies of the Christian faith is not uh, agnosticism or atheism or unbelief, but rather the great enemy of the gospel is forgetfulness. That we are prone to forget the truths of God. We're prone to forget what God has done. And that's why we have a memorial. We have a cross. So if you ever doubt what God has done for you, look no further than the cross. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look at the cross. If you ever doubt that the wrath of God on behalf of your sin has been satisfied, look at the cross. If you ever doubt that God is working in you, look at the cross in the empty tomb. We are in constant need to be reminded of His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness of God's faithfulness. Constant need. The last thing I want to look at is, is mission. Mission. Here's where I'm going to conclude. Mission. This is a memorial of mission. So the miracle, the memorial, and the, and the mission. All right. So I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. That seems like a weird thing to insert in the middle of this passage, doesn't it? I want you to understand that these two and a half tribes received their inheritance on the other side of, of the Jordan River. They've already been in their inheritance. but So they came to Moses one day and they said, Moses, we've found a great land and we'd like to live here. We, our lifestyle is a little different than yours and this land suits us really well. And, and so can we stay here? He said, yes, you can on one condition that you don't forget about the people. You don't forget about your people. He said, because your people... Your brothers and your sisters, they have not come into the land just yet. And they need you, when they go into the land, they need you to walk with them. They need you to fight for them, and they need you to be on mission with them. 
And even in the middle of this passage, there's a reminder of mission. Listen, look, look at me. If you're out there and you think you've come into the promised land, you think you're smooth sailing from here on out, I want to remind you that you are not done. God's not finished with you yet. Just because you've come into the promised land, as it were, maybe you've hit retirement age or maybe you're, you're, you're whatever. I want you to understand today that you are not done with your mission. God's not finished with you yet. He's got plans for you until you, you, till you breathe your last breath God has a mission for you to be a part of. Don't get settled on the other side of the Jordan River. Because there's a mission. And guys, we are fighting a mission for people's souls. There is a world outside of this church who has no knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And without that gospel... It is the power of God for the Jew and the Gentile. Without that gospel, they're going to spend an eternity separated from the goodness of God and an eternity under His wrath. Smooth sailing, retirement age. It's time for the church to be on mission, folks. And then I want you to go to one more. Joshua 4.24 So that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Set up another memorial. The memorial in Gilgal. Set it up. Listen, this is what it says. That all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. Do you want to know what God's mission is? For all the people of the earth to know about Jesus. Well, it seems unloving to push my beliefs on people. If, if, if what, if what, let me just give you a speculation. If what we believe is true, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if heaven is real and if hell is real, how unloving is it for those who know the way to heaven not to share the good news with people? If I offend them, that's not my goal. My goal is that they might get saved so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord. So there's a mission. And, and let me tell you, when we begin to fear the Lord, when we begin to truly fear the Lord, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When He does His work in His people, let me tell you what will happen uh, necessarily. All the peoples of the earth may know Him. When He gets us right with Him, then we begin to be on mission for Him, with Him. Are you with me? I, I, I'm going to be hard because I love you, but you want to know one of the reasons why we have, uh, in a sense, stagnated? When was the last person? Who was the last person you told about Jesus? We've forgotten our mission. Who's the last person you invited to church? We've forgotten our mission. The church, from my perspective, is the only organization on planet Earth that exists for those who are not yet a part of it. So maybe, 
Maybe you're here today and you have never experienced the power of the gospel. And today, there's this power working inside of you that you can't explain any other way. I want to encourage you, don't ignore that power. You deal with God. Maybe you are a forgetful people like I am. And you just need to be reminded that God is faithful. God is working. God's not done with us. He's done with me because I'm almost about to lose my voice. But he's not done with you yet. He's still working in your life. Come to the memorial. Maybe you're carrying your past in here today. Come to the memorial. Maybe we've forgotten our mission. Come to the memorial. Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me and pray with me? And if you need to do something, do it. Don't wait for my invitation. If you need to move, move. If you need to come pray, pray. If you want to join our church today, if you feel like God's leading you in that next step, please do so in this time of invitation. But let's pray and let's be obedient to what God tells us to do. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for the memorial buried in the bottom of the Jordan River. I'm thankful for the memorial on the side of Gilgal. I'm thankful that both of them show us the memorial of the cross of Jesus Christ, that our sin is dealt with, and we walk in to the promised land as your people, experiencing brand new life, being reminded of your faithfulness, that you have not given up on us yet, and you won't. But Father, please, today, by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You respond.